That was awesome. <laughs> There's a reason preachers don't eat at these conferences. <clears throat> Take your Bible. Let's go to Numbers chapter 13, if you will. Numbers chapter 13. You've been an excellent group of men to preach to, and, and uh, when you come with hearts like you have, God is certain to fill us with what he has for us. I muted. Is that my fault or yours? <laughs> okay. Thank you. And I thought they were uh, going Pentecostal up there in the balcony. There's four people waving their hands and <laughs> thought it was time to quit. Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I have given unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall you send a man, every one a ruler among them. Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. If we are not pleasing God by faith, we are provoking him by fear. Israel finds itself between the bondage of Egypt and the blessing of the promised land. They can cower at this point in fear or go back to slavery. They can have courage in faith or they can bask in success. The church today finds itself between an intimidating, sinful culture, and the inerrant, sacred scriptures. I wonder as we leave in a few moments this conference, will we act in fear or will we act in faith? Ten of these spies come back with a report of fear. Two come back with a report of faith. How will you go back to your home? How will you go back to your church, to your community? If we are not pleasing God by faith, we are provoking him by fear. Fear places our circumstances between us and God. Faith places our God between us and our circumstances. Let's not let fear's hesitancy block faith's hope. Very quickly this afternoon, I want you to notice with me four key components to the decision between faith and fear. Most of us in this conference have made a decision. Some have made several. What we do with that decision will be determined by whether we return in fear or whether we return in faith. I see, first of all, the eyewitnesses of the future. These 12 spies are designated by Moses in verses 4 through 16. He sends these whom God has commanded him to send 
And they were to go into this land of Canaan and bring back a complete evaluation. In verse number 5, he tells them, uh, or verse number 17, he says, And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said unto them, Get you up this way southward, and go into the mountain, and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what the cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not. Be of a good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. They are commanded to do a complete evaluation. God isn't asking us to blindly follow him. Sometimes we get accused as Christians of having this blind faith that we live by. We are accused of following a God that we cannot see. And so we are sometimes labeled as those who have this this, uh, idea that we're just uh, stepping out without any evidence of our faith. But God isn't asking us to blindly follow him. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And he's saying, go in this land, figure it out, find out what it's all about. See this land that I have promised to you. We have an opportunity to evaluate God's words. We have an opportunity every day to go into the promised land of the scriptures. And like the people of Berea who were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they searched the scriptures daily, whether these things were so. A complete evaluation. And they came back with some credible evidence in verse 23. The Bible says they came unto the brook Eshkol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bear it between two upon a staff, and they brought it of the, uh, brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes, which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. We have the opportunity daily to search the word of God, to find the riches of God's truths, to uh, go deep into the scriptures and see what God has promised We are eyewitnesses of these promises as we take time to go into God's word. We have the promise of salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We have the promise of eternal security. To him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. We have the promise of his provision. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We have the promise of his protection. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. We have the promise of his care. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them doth not fall to the ground without your heavenly Father, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. We have the promise of his strength and power, for he giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
We have the promise of his unconditional love. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love and drawn thee with my loving kindness. We have the promise of his constant presence. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We have the promise of a perfect plan for our life. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his promise. And none of these promises that we can investigate in God's word and search out will ever fail. For God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? All the promises of God are in him, yea, and in him, amen. Gentlemen, we can experience, we can be eyewitnesses of God's truth. You do err not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. And so these were eyewitnesses of the future. But I want you to notice the emotion of fear. Verse 28. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. One word takes them from walking by faith to wandering in fear. They come back with this amazing report. And we're going to go home in a few minutes and we've got all these messages in our heart and written in our notebook and we can talk about on the ride home and we can, we can tell our wives and our children about the conference and perhaps tomorrow stand up in church and tell us what a blessing it was to be here. But when we take what we have seen and heard from the scriptures and walk by faith, Or will we wander in fear? A perceived problem. Nevertheless, verse 28, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled, very great. We saw the children of Enoch there. They saw the walls. You know, walls have never been a problem to the Lord. You can just walk around them and they fall down. We see the walls today of secularism. We see the walls of humanism. We see the walls of atheism. The walls of antinomianism. But the walls that we see from the outside are no problem to God. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thy stretched arm, and there's nothing too hard for thee. With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. God has spoken once, yea, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Ecclesiastes 5.8 says, If thou seest the oppression of the poor. I'm seeing some of that. the oppression of the poor, the abortions daily, the homeless. If thou seest the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting of judgment and justice, I'm seeing that. The violent perverting of judgment and justice. We have never seen corruption in high places like we're seeing it today. If thou seest the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting of judgment and justice in the province, 
marvel not at the matter. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there is that is higher than they. Our elite, powerful leaders today think that they are in control. They're not in control. They build their walls to protect themselves, to protect their power. There is one that is higher than they. We look out today and we see a problem that we perceive sometimes to be greater than God. I won't go into the detail, but I got a call one day from the IRS. I had opted out of Social Security when I was ordained. But several years into my ministry, they lost my form. They said, we have no record of your exemption. And you owe us in back taxes and fines $72,000. And you have seven days. They said they'd been trying to get a hold of me. I said, well, I'm an evangelist. They said, we kind of figured. I didn't have $72 to pay the IRS, much less $72,000. I looked at that wall. I'm going to tell you something. You fear the IRS. You don't mess with the IRS. But you know, by the time God got done with them, they sent me a check for $100. (laughs) A perceived fear. A perceived problem. Notice this was a result of a pessimistic pattern. In verse 29, The Amicalites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. This was all part of their their debrief. This was all part of their report as they came back. The Amalekites were descendants of Esau. They've been around a while. Israel has battled them before. The Hittites were descendants of Heth. They'd been around since Genesis 10 in Abraham's day. The Jebusites, they were the mountain people. They were uh, warlike in their character. They were the ones that intimidated through threats and so on. The Amorites were around in Abraham's time as well. They were the highlanders. They sought to uh, find the high ground in order to win the battles. The Canaanites were the fourth son of Ham, and they dwelled in Canaan, and they were the artistic. They were the gifted ones. They were the talented, the religious, and Israel is, is feeling inferior to these nations because they had been constantly defeated by them. You see, fear has its roots in past failures. And what's going to cause you to fear keeping your decisions of this retreat is the fact that you have failed in the past. You've been battling the same enemies. If we had written sins on the board last year, the same sins would be on the board this year. The fleshly desires, the sinful habits, the besetting sins, as Hebrews calls them. There was a pessimistic pattern here, and it resulted in a predictable panic. In verse 31, the men that, were, that went up with him said, We be not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we. How did they know that? They haven't fought any battles. Hopefully they didn't even get seen. They're supposed to be spies. 
And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants and the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And now there's panic as we come to chapter 14. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. All the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in the wilderness? Wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return unto Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. They said, Give us a leader so we can go backward. Fainting in the day of adversity. Succumbing to fear. It seems that our entire culture is guided today by emotion. Protesters by the thousands today in Washington, D.C., marching against our government. On the side of the Palestinians. Driven by emotion, not by fact, not by history. The emotion of fear. But notice it is contrasted now by the expectation of faith. There's a contrast between the fear of the majority here and the faith of one man. We skipped verse 30, didn't we? But the soul, I'm sorry, in chapter 13 and verse 30, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses. And said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. We see here a calming demeanor. Caleb stilled the people. Their emotion was ratcheted up. Their emotion was one of fear. Their emotion was, I can't do this. We don't want to do this. Let's go back. We want to go back to the bricks. We want to go back to wandering around in circles. But we don't want to go into that land. Their emotions were stirred up, and Caleb stilled the people. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of uh, evildoers. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be careful. Don't be full of care for anything, but by everything in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. A calming demeanor. A challenging directive. In verse 30, he says that Caleb, it says, Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it. Gentlemen, this is not the time to hunker down. This is the time to harness up. This is not the time to run to a cave. This is the time to rally for a cause. Shall your brethren go to war and we sit here? Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, I'm getting the idea here in America. If we don't start going, they're going to be coming. The whole world's coming. God wants us to reach them. We can go reach them or we can reach them when they get here. 
but we're to reach them. A challenging directive. Churches, we got too many retreats on the calendar. How about putting some revivals on your calendar? Our church calendars are full of retreats. I'm not against retreats. But you ought to have more revival meetings on your calendar than you have retreats. Here's a confident declaration. We are well able to overcome it. The expectation of faith by faith. Read Hebrews 11. It doesn't say by fear, Abel, by fear, Moses, by fear, Noah, by fear. No, by faith, by faith, by faith. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory, even our faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And boy, I love the fact that fourthly this afternoon, there's an endurance of this follower. Turn to Joshua chapter 14. I love this man, Caleb. He's mentioned here in Numbers 13. We have to go all the way to Joshua to see how this all turns out. Joshua chapter 14. By the way, all those pages you're turning past, well, the only thing happening on those pages is all the people who resisted have to die. Now, there's a lot of words written down in those pages, but really all that's happening is God's just waiting for all these people that resisted the plan of God to die. By the time you get to Joshua 14, the only two people that are still alive above age 20 back in Numbers 13 are Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else is dead. I hope God doesn't have to wait for me to die before he can bring revival. But in this Caleb, we see an unwavering faithfulness in verse number 6 of chapter 14 in Joshua. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. Let me ask you, gentlemen, does the term or the phrase holy following the Lord, does that describe you and me? This man wholly followed the Lord. I shared with Brother Tim this morning a verse in 2 Kings 17. Verse 33, they feared the Lord and served their own gods. Isn't that a strange verse? They feared the Lord, served their own gods. If there's a news person standing outside the doors and we leave in a minute from channel whatever in Sacramento and they got a microphone in your face that said, tell us about this event. Tell us about what's been going on here. You'd say, well, we had a men's conference. What kind of a men's conference? Oh, it was about God. We studied the Bible. We had lots of preaching. We fear the Lord, but once we get in our car, do we serve our own gods? Peter reminds us, ye therefore, brethren, seeing ye 
know these things before, lest ye be led away from the air of the wicked and fall from your own steadfastness. He said, you've got to beware. You've got to be steadfast. As Paul said, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Not just at men's conference, not just in church on Sunday, but all week long. We've got to have an unwavering faithfulness. And it leads to an unknown fatigue in verse number 10. And now Caleb says, Behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these 40 and 5 years. So he's 85 years old. Even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. You know, that kind of of unknown fatigue is only available through Christ. Our bodies wear out. We get old. We get tired. We get sick. But I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth thee. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. By the way, God's not attracted to your strength. He's attracted to your weakness. Because when you surrender your weakness, that's a chance for him to show his strength. An unknown fatigue. And an unordinary favor. Verse 12, Now therefore give me this mountain, Whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him, and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh Hebron for an inheritance. And Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And you can go into chapter 15 and see other cities that Caleb conquered and was given because of the blessing of God. So I have two questions for you. How did you get saved? Well, you got saved by faith. If you're saved, you got saved by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works any man should boast. We didn't save ourselves. We didn't buy our way into heaven. Salvation is not an attainment. It's an atonement. By faith, we've trusted Christ our Savior. So the second question is, how are we going to serve him? You're not getting to heaven through your flesh. You're not getting heaven through your works. You're getting heaven by faith. You're not going to go home, and I'm not going to go home today and serve God in our flesh. It's not going to work. We're not going to be able to go home and serve God in our own strength or the momentum that we may feel right now being around to godly men. We've got to go home and by faith live the decisions we have written down. The disciples came to Jesus one day in John chapter 6. And they asked Jesus an interesting question. Verse 28, they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? That's a good question. You go to a conference like this, you're looking for things you can do. Here's some things I can do in my life. Here's some things I can do in my church. Here's some things I can do in my ministry. 
They came to Jesus. That was a good person to come to, ask that question. What shall we do? We may work the works of Christ. We, you know, we're ready to roll up our sleeves, Lord. What can, what can we do? The answer Jesus gave them was a bit stunning. He said in verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. You know what your work is? Faith. Your work is to have faith. Whatever it is that God has placed on your heart in this conference, you don't have to go home, roll up your sleeves in your flesh and say, somehow I'm going to do it. I'm just going to set three alarms and get up in time to read my Bible. Well, I'm just going to witness my loved one and I'm just going to memorize a bunch of scriptures and get a bunch of good tracks. No, what you need to do is have faith, faith in God. We're way past what man can do. Man can't do anything. But with God, all things are possible. May God raise up in this men's conference some Caleb's. You might have to ride home alone as a Caleb. In a month, you might be the only Caleb. 